kick off a new series that we had not planned on kicking off. But we're kicking it off anyway because we are 21 days away from Easter. And I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. But I just need to start this way. We could start a lot of different ways. We, but but, but here's, here's how we're going to start, okay, everybody? Everybody watching, here, here's how we're going to start. We need some good news. Like, we just need some good news today. We have had plenty. We have been inundated with different recommendations and regulations and restrictions and hygiene and social distancing, physical distancing. I went into Starbucks and there were no chairs. I did not know if that was the beginning of the apocalypse. I did not read that in Revelation, but I think it's in there somewhere. We need some good news, everybody. And here's the best news that I've got for you. It's the be- I-, I think it's going to be some of the best news you've heard today. And I think it's going to be the best news you're going to hear all week. And here's what I want to say to you, Timber Creek Church, and those of you watching with us. We were made for moments like this. The church, the body of Christ, was not meant to be birthed into this world to simply slow motion run through fields of daisies and buttercups like Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music. We were designed as the church to be hope in a world that needs it. That we were to show peace because he is peace. He is hope. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And so because we're made for moments like this, the good news is that's our whole job is to declare the good news. In the word of God, the word for good news is called the gospel. And so when when you read the word and somebody says, oh, that's gospel right there. That's good news right there. And I I wonder, though, if you were to take a five-by-seven card and you were to take it and you were to begin to write down your definition of the gospel. If I I just said to you, tell me what the gospel is, I I think you would get some components. I think others of you, you may struggle because maybe you've not taken a moment and just defined what the gospel message truly is. And so here's how I want to help you. If you want to write it down and take some notes right wherever you are, unless you're watching this while driving, I don't recommend that, but but whatever. Uh, here, Here, write this down. The gospel is the good news. That's number one, but it goes beyond that. And here's what, what is it the good news? The good news is everything's on sale at JCPenney? No. The good news is that God became man in Jesus Christ. Heaven meets earth. The divine also becomes human and understands what we're going through because he does not stand behind the wall of heaven, but he gets into the dirt and the grime, into the, the barn of life, And he understands what we're going through. He became man in Jesus Christ. Not only that, he then lived the life we should have lived, but we didn't. And we can't. And we couldn't. And we won't. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died. He paid the debt that you and I, we owed, but we couldn't pay. And here's the most important thing. He died that death in our place. That's the good news. But it doesn't stop there. When we celebrate Easter in 21 days, we're not, we're not celebrating just the, 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 the death of Christ. We're celebrating the resurrection because three days later, he rose from the dead, proving, proving that he is the son of God. 
And when we celebrate three weeks from now, I don't know what the church is gonna look like. I don't, I don't know if, if I'm gonna even be able to come up here and film something in the next few weeks or not. I may have to be in my iPhone, hunkered down in my living room. We're gonna do whatever it takes though and we're gonna share the message of Jesus Christ on Easter 21 days from now because it's the gospel, it's the good news. And again, I wanna remind you, the church isn't closed, just the buildings. And so the gospel goes on to say, he rose from the dead proving that he's the son of God and he offers salvation and forgiveness of sins for everyone. Everybody, wherever you are, say everyone, say it. Everyone who repents and believes. Repents means I change directions. Believe, well, we're gonna talk about that in a moment. The gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, I love that they're called just that. They're the good news of Jesus and there's four camera angles. Just like we have different camera angles going on today, there were four camera angles of the life of Jesus Christ uh, written in it from a different viewpoint, a different vantage point by different authors. And so when we see those fir- first four books, we have Matthew, and Matthew writes from a camera angle to the Jewish people. He gets into their Jewish traditions and their customs, and he displays the, to them who the Messiah is, because they, in their Jewish tradition and in their word of God, in the Torah, there were thousands of scriptures that were declaring what the Messiah would look like. And so uh, Matthew says, hey, he starts his whole book, his whole camera lens, his whole eyewitness account. He begins with a genealogy because where Jesus would come from, his family, his tribe, uh, his, his pedigree, uh, his um, place of birth, the way he would be born. All of those things mattered to the Jewish people. And so Matthew starts with this person begat this person, this person begat that person. Why? Because that was important for the Jewish people. And we get the camera lens for the good news of the gospel to the Jews. Then Mark writes the second gospel, and he's writing to a, to a group of Romans. They're occupying Jerusalem. The Romans are large and in charge. They're very proud of themselves and they're proud of their multiple gods. And really they look to themselves even as gods. And what Mark is going to do is he's not going to show Jesus as Messiah. He's going to show Jesus as the ultimate servant. And he's going to go into a group of people, the Romans, who think they don't need anything and they're the final authority. And he's going to say, yeah, who you're really looking for is the chief Servant, And that's how Mark writes his camera angle of the good news of the gospel. Now, Luke, he's a little bit different story. He's the longest of the gospel and he's writing to the Greek audience. And the Greek audience was sophisticated and illustrative. Uh, The Colosseum was from the Greeks. Um, A lot of uh, drama, the the kind of things you would see in Shakespeare, a lot of that originated with the Greeks. You know, the the crowns with all the leaves and the figs and the tunics and all that. That, that, That's from like, you know, the Greeks. And Luke writes to that audience in a very illustrative way descriptive. He's also a doctor. I'm surprised they actually could translate it because you know how doctors write. You know, they just like, it's like, is this, is this the gospel? No, no, that's just a prescription for, you know, Tylenol. But, but Luke writes it all out verse by verse by verse. And it's good news about the son of man. So he's like, he's personal with us to the Greeks. Finally, John 
kind of stands on its own. The first three are called the synoptic gospels. There's a lot of similarities, but John takes a completely different, it's almost like he takes a, an HD view of the camera. He, he, he takes a unique perspective and he's gonna talk about Jesus being not only God, but also being man, his humanity and his divinity as the son of the living God. And it's, and it's here that through these four gospels over the next 21 days, we have started a series today called Bystander because these four disciples are now four authors that are standing by watching, waiting, anticipating. And I gotta tell you, all of us have found ourselves on standby, haven't we? We, we, we found ourselves kind of bystanding and allowing life just to more happen to us instead of us happening to it. Uh, the, the world around us is changing like that. And these bystanders are seeing the same thing when Jesus was walking the earth. Things were changing and shifting. The way they knew how to connect with God, all of a sudden they're realizing, whoa, there's another way to connect with God. And so as I've mentioned before, we're 21 days to Easter Sunday. And something I wanna invite you to do is read the word of God with us. Maybe you've never had a, a solid practice of reading the word. Well, 21 days until Easter and there's 21 chapters in the book of John. And so we wanna give you a great tool that you can look up online after this message is over. Uh, it's the Holy Bible app. You look for that particular icon, that particular logo. It's completely free. All kinds of versions there that you can read. There's reading plans. And what we're recommending, we're inviting you to join me, join my wife, join our kids, join the church body. And we're gonna go 21 days in the gospel of John from a fellow pastor, Levi Lusco. There's a devotion and then we'll read a chapter, one chapter a day up into Easter so that we can be ready to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Now let's talk about the book of John for a minute. Um, I don't know about you, but I've got relatives who have Heidekes. Anybody got a, a relative that has a Heideke somewhere? Um, my in-laws don't live far from our church. I know where their Heideke is. I can go in any time and steal cookies. They're wondering where they're going. It's because I know where the Heideke is. A Heideke is an incredible, incredible tool to have, especially when you can't find your keys to have the Heideke, to have the extra key. Just don't hide it too well because that's worthless. But there is a hidden key in the book of John that would unlock the meaning of the, all of the gospels, all of the good news. And when you go to John chapter 20, you, you find the hide a key to the good news. And here it is. These are written, the gospels, the good news, scripture, the word of God. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. Not that you may feel good, not that you may think about it, not that you may suppose, but that you would believe, like believe that he's, he is who he says he is. That's the hidden key of the gospel. That's the good news. But the way you receive, the way you activate that good news is by believing. That, that's, what, that's the key that unlocks everything else. Now look at this. Believing for some of us, it's like holding as an opinion, think or suppose. Like, oh yeah, I believe that could happen. Yeah, I believe, I believe the Cowboys are gonna look a lot better next year. <laughs> You're in definition one on, on the Cowboys, okay? Like, I suppose, because you don't have proof, all right? It is more proven that the resurrection happened than the Cowboys are gonna have a winning season next year, I promise you. 
But this is not the kind of belief that John is inviting us into. Just like kind of a suppose, think about it thing. He is inviting us into accepting something as true, to feel sure of the truth. But can I tell you, it goes even further. That may be the way John, what John is inviting us into, but let me tell you that even the demons believe in Jesus. But it doesn't mean that they are, they, 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 they feel sure of the truth. They, they accept that Jesus is who he says he is, but they don't have the deeper belief that actually when you look at the original language of believing here, what John is saying is a different definition and it is to cling to, rely on. As a child hangs on to their mama's leg in a busy crowd. As you begin to cling to one another wondering what's next week gonna look like? Um, when, when you uh, are, are, are facing uncertainty, we tend to cling to what we know and I want you to know you can trust Jesus. I want you to know you can cling to and rely on Jesus in these moments. But the problem is here's the challenge that we face that as we are believing, there are enemies to your belief. There are opponents that are actively engaged in pushing against your belief. It's, it's one thing to just say, okay, I believe. But then there is a real enemy that is pushing against you that wants nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy you. And so you have spiritual opposition from all angles. But then here's what else you have. You've got the critics. You got the critics around you that are saying, ah, isn't that like kind of antiquated? Isn't this whole thing about Jesus and like, like, I mean, if he was really real, come on, would all of this be happening? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and poof, poof, like let everything go away of what we're dealing with? In fact, the psalmist writes it this way in Psalm 73, they scoff at God, how proudly they speak. And so here's what happens. When the critics get critical on Facebook, when the critics get critical on the airways, when, when people get critical and you don't really know why you believe what you believe, you do believe, but you're struggling a little bit, all of a sudden God's people can become dismayed and confused. And if you're not careful, drink it all in. There is so much confusion out there right now. There already was confusion. And if you're not careful, listen, we're gonna have things on social media almost every single day. But we are gonna take a day out of the week and we are gonna ask you, turn off the phone. Turn off social media. Don't even tune in to Timber Creek Church. Fast the media for 24 hours so you can recalibrate every week. Now, don't do it on Sunday and Wednesday because we're gonna have services during that time and don't do it any other time. But I'm inviting our church body to take a certain day that we are going to pinpoint as the day we turn it off. Because if we drink it all in, it, it we're, if we're not careful, you can get dismayed and going to start challenging you. You can start building that worry and that fear and don't, let's not do that. But here's what else they say. Does God realize what is going on? You know, my son is 11 years old and we were having dinner just a couple nights ago. And he said, why doesn't Jesus just take care of the coronavirus? Why doesn't he just stop it? I mean, isn't he God? And you know, that, that's a big question. And, and when it's from an 11 year old, I can begin to talk with my 11 year old. And even if, it, if he were 42, 
The truth is the truth. And what I said to my 11-year-old is, listen, God didn't plan it this way. God designed a perfect world. The reason we live in a broken world is because of our choices and our actions, not because of God's. He created a perfect world for us. In fact, we're going to end someday in a new heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, we live in brokenness. And in brokenness, there's sickness, there's disease, there's hurt, there's grief. But it's also, it is also the incubation period. It is also the marinating opportunity for us to dig into Jesus and trust him in the middle of opposition. Now, I can say that to an 11-year-old. He says, oh, yeah. But then I talked to a 42, said, well, but I heard it from this way. And if you consider these things, don't turn off your brain, but do be sure to turn off all the critics in your life and make sure you're leaning in to Jesus. Here's what the psalmist says. Again and again, they scoff. Where is that God of yours? And if you're dealing with that in your family, in your life, maybe even in your own mind, here's, here's the response that I wanna give to you in Psalm 42. Again, again, they scoff. Where is that God of yours? But here's how the psalmist ends it. But oh, my soul, you gotta talk to yourself. You gotta look in the mirror and say, oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. Everybody, wherever you are, say it with me. Expect God to act. Come on, one more time, big and loud. Expect God to act. That's right. You can expect him and you can trust him and the critics are gonna come and the critics are gonna go and you can stand on the promises and the power of believing in who he says he is because he is who he says he is. Not only the critics, but we got circumstances. Hello, circumstances. On a Friday, we met as a staff saying, okay, this is getting serious. We need to have some plans in place. It was on Saturday that it became a shutdown. It was on Monday at that same place where we met Starbucks that I walked in to get my mocha and the place is empty. There's no chairs in there. I think we got the, they, they, like, we don't want you to sit down. So we're going to remove the chairs. It makes sense. Like that's how quickly our world changes. But, it, but don't, don't get so, don't get so consumed with our own situation right here in 2020 to not realize that that's been happening for a, for a long, long time. In fact, when you go to the good news and you go to the gospels and you go to the book of Mark, you read about one such instance where everything changed in a second. It's Mark chapter four. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, notice, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And he's talking about getting in a boat. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. So look at it. Look at it. Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. In other words, hey, get in the boat. Get in the boat. Jesus said, get in the boat. And here's what happens. A furious squall comes up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Hang on. Hold up. Back up the truck. Beep, beep, beep. Jesus told him to get in the boat. Why wouldn't Jesus just say, hey, this is where you take the loop because like inside the streets are flooded. You need to take the loop around the city. No, Jesus knew the storm was coming. What's he doing? He's gonna show us, you can believe in me. You can trust in me. Even when the storms rise, even when, even when things don't look very good. The boat was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a, sleeping on a my pillow that one of the guys bought late night on television. The disciples, they woke him and said, teacher, 
Don't you care if we drown? Don't you even care? And I wonder if some of you have said, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care what's going on right now? You can ask God tough questions. He's big enough to handle it. What he doesn't invite you to do is to step away from him, lean into him and ask him stuff. And here's what Jesus does. He got up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves. And I believe he wasn't just rebuking the wind and the waves. He was actually saying to the wind and to the disciples, quiet, be still. In the middle of the storm, we gotta lean into a Jesus He's not worried. He's not scared. He's not, he, he, he's not concerned. He will be emotional with you. When Mary and Martha called and let their, their brother Lazarus had died, he wept with them. He, he will weep with you, but he's not worried. He'll weep with you and mourn with you, but he's not scared and you can trust him. And this is just one example of all the stories that when John gives us the Haida key, when he says these Stories, these words, these scriptures are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He then gives us a promise that is activated when we believe. That by believing, not by hoping, not by biting your bottom lip, not by just coming to church, definitely not just by tuning in, watching online, by believing, clinging to, relying on him, you may have life in his name. Everybody wants a great life. I wanna enjoy a great life. I don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I hope my life's mediocre today. You don't raise your kids saying, son, get out there on the ball field and just do your mediocre. No, we wanna we want give, give it our best. And so we wanna live life 100. We wanna live it to the full. We wanna go, baby. We wanna get our best life now. Ha, mm -mm. But wouldn't you agree with me that regular life, the life maybe we've been pursuing, the life we've been chasing, regular life has been fiercely interrupted over the last few days. It's been fiercely interrupted. But he says, I'm not looking for you to build a life on your name on your qualifications, on who, who you think you should be. I'm inviting you to believe so that you can have life in my name. And so the question I wanna leave us with today, the question as we begin to wrap up today, what does living in his name look like? If he says believing you can have life in his name, what does living in that name look like? Well, we know that his name there's many names for Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, which means savior. Uh, in the Old Testament, he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God says to Moses, here's my name, I am. So what does believing in I am look like? What does living in his name look like? Well, let me offer this to you. First of all, he is the light of life. John will show us, the bystander John, will show us when he opens the blind eyes. It's not about the miracle of the blind eye seeing. It's actually that Jesus is the light of the world. That's what he's gonna show us. And I want you to know that you are designed, you are designed to need light. Physiologically, when babies are born and there's, there, there's not enough certain chemical in their system, not enough certain vitamins, and they may have a little bit of jaundice, one of the remedies is to put them in the light. That's powerful. Jesus is the light of life. Isn't that amazing? 
One of the ways we help our kids when they're young, when they're young, we, we help our kids by, by giving them a nightlight, by opening the closet and turning on the light, by leaving the bathroom light on. Like we turn on the light. Why? Because we want them to know that it's gonna be okay. And Jesus wants you to know, even when it seems dark, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. And so, so I know that, that um, something that has encouraged me is when I hear good songs about light. You know, I, I worship songs and praise songs about the light of the world is so powerful. But I also, I have also had a song stuck in my brain and I can't get it out. And I mention it to Cody, our worship pastor. And so I want to get it stuck in your brain too. And so when I think of light of life, Cody, hit it. Every light in the house is on The backyard's bright as the crack of dawn The front porch look like runway lights It's kind of like noon in the dead of night Every light in the house is on Just in case you ever do get tired of being gone Every light in the house is on. Shrink it one more time. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't. We, we, we don't want to do that anymore. Uh, thank you, Trace Atkins. And thank you, Pastor Cody. Every light in the house is on. And when I asked Cody to sing that, he said, now you do know that's about like a husband whose wife leaves him. And he's saying, will you come back? And she's like, nah. He's like, how are you going to tie that in? Really, really easy. Let me tell you, everybody. John is going to show us that Jesus is the bridegroom and he calls you and me the bride. And I want you to know if you're watching and you don't feel very close to Jesus right now, Jesus doesn't turn off the lights on you. He doesn't just give you a tiny little flicker of a, of a lighter to kind of show you the way. Jesus has illuminated the world. He's shown himself to us and he's given us all these things so that if you will believe, you can have life in his name. Every, every light in his house for you is on. That's how, mean, that's how much he loves us. Not only is Jesus the light of life that John says as he bystands and watches from a different camera angle, but he's the living water. One of the very first things that people started scooping up in the middle of this coronavirus craze was toilet paper, yes, and water. I didn't understand the water, maybe because it's East Texas and because we've had hurricanes before and, and we thought, oh man, hurricanes, virus, same thing. It's not, but, we, but here's what happens. When we get scared, we go towards the basics of life. We try to hang on to everything we need to survive. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is gonna describe himself as the things we need to survive. You need light. You need water in order to live. And he says, guess what? You come to me and there are, there are rivers of living water that flow through me and that can flow through you. That's the kind of Jesus we're serving. And in the 21 days leading up to Easter, we're going to read that he is the light. He is the living water. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the provider. He is sustenance. He is able. We're going to read about he's the bread of life. As I went to Walmart with my wife the other day to pick up some last minute groceries, we walked in there and we were like, man, this is, this is cray cray. Like there was there was not very much stuff. There was a bunch of quinoa, there was a bunch of kale, 
But there weren't like the like well, there was no zebra cakes, everybody. There were no zebra cakes. We went down the bread aisle. And all they had was wheat bread. What in the world was this world coming to? But it was amazing. The emptiness of the aisles. The emptiness of inventory. And Jesus is telling you, what's in the inventory of your heart? What are you stocking up when, when things get tough? Are you, filling the spirit, are you filling your inventory on everything that you can provide for yourself? And that's what people do. They get scared and they, they try and get in whatever they can, afraid that they may not have what they need to survive. And I'm okay with stocking your pantry, but Jesus wants to remind you, he's the bread. And I wonder if how many of us have been living with bare cupboards in our heart. Jesus says, let me not just feed your mouth, I'll take care of you, but let me give you the bread of life. I'm, we'll learn later, I'm the, I'm the bread. I'm what you need to sustain you. I like it in the book of Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah's talking to God and he says this, your words were found, the word of God, your words were found. And here's what Jeremiah says, and I ate them. See, we, we wanna take in and digest the word of God. I ate them. And here's what happens when I consume the word. And that's what I'm inviting you to do in this change of pace, in this reassessment, in this fiercely interrupted life. Consume the word of God. Stand in the light of Jesus. Soak in the living water. Examine your plate and take on the bread of life. And here's what happens when we do this. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. In the middle of these crazy times, believe, hang on to, and joy is around the corner. In fact, the scripture says, darkness may last for a night. And maybe that night is two nights or seven nights. Maybe it's 56 nights, but joy comes in the morning. And when you find his word, and here's the truth about the gospels, the word isn't just a Bible, but God himself says, the word became flesh. And so when we take on Jesus, when we invite Jesus' spirit to live in us, he gives us what we need to truly live. The final one, I am called by your name, O Lord. See, the delight of my heart, I ate his words, and then I become called by his name. So let me give you the final thought. Not only is the light of life, he's the living water, he's the bread of life, he's the breath of life. You can't last very long. My son can go about 36 seconds underwater and the moment 37 seconds hits, <gasps> why? Because we need our breath. And Jesus is saying to you, let me be the breath. And you know how he shows us that? The very first thing he does with humanity, lean in everybody, lean on your couch, lean in on the edge of your bed, lean in on your back patio, lean in and listen to me. The very first thing God does with humanity before we breathe our first breath, he takes up dirt, 
breathes his own life into us. Now, Jesus lives a perfect life, dies the perfect death, resurrects and gives us power to live. And the first thing he does to the disciples, now listen, watch this, don't, don't lose this. The disciples, their life had been fiercely interrupted. Their teacher was dead. Their teacher had been arrested and beaten within an inch of his life and crucified between two criminals and they ran for their life. They were scared. They hunkered down. They self-quarantined in the little house, afraid of what the guards would do, afraid of what the mob would do. And they hunkered down and they waited and they didn't know what was next. And do you know what Jesus did? On the night of his resurrection, he didn't even knock on the door. The Bible says he just enters into the house. And I believe right now in the mighty name of Jesus, Jesus is with you in your house. He's with you in your work. He's with you in your situation. He's with you in your fear. He's with you even in your worry. You don't have to get rid of worry for him to be close. You don't have to get rid of fear for him to show up and say, don't be afraid. In fact, if you could get rid of your worry and your fear all by yourself, Jesus would never have to like walk into the room. And the first thing he does to those disciples, probably because they're scared out of their mind, like somebody just walked through the wall. Peter's stirring up his coffee and sees Jesus walk through the wall. Nathaniel faints, lands on the coffee table like Tommy boy. Jesus, the first thing he says is peace, peace. It's going to be okay. And here's the next thing he does. He breathes on them (laughs) and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. The breath of life at the beginning of creation, the breath of life to the disciples, that same spirit he wants to breathe into you. And with that, he will breathe calm into you and peace and joy and righteousness and gentleness and holiness and courage to face tomorrow. So I invite you, live in his name. And I'm reminded of this song too. It's a little bit better than Trace Atkins. I want you to listen to this song as you reflect on these points. Listen to these words. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. If you can sing with us where you are, sing it. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread.
shepherd who would leave 99 sheep and go after one and if that's you today and you feel lost maybe because you have not invited Jesus to be the center of your life I want to pray for you or maybe you feel lost in the middle of this chaos and you just need to re-anchor in believing he is who he says he is I want to pray for you too so if you're able maybe just close your eyes father for those of us that we were lost we need you surrender would you come into our lives would you breathe that same life into us like you did the disciples would you give me a second chance would you give me a tenth chance I, I want to live for you help me Jesus right where I am that I would stop trying to pursue the life I'm trying to do in my name and that I would trade it for great life true life wonderful life in your name and father for those that are dealing with a a doubt, they're a struggle, their faith feels small. Oh, we're, we're in good company because all we need is the faith of a mustard seed. We don't have to be eradicated of all doubt. We just have to believe and, and overcome our unbelief. And so Lord, if we're struggling with trust, Lord, be that light that illuminates the truth. Be the living water that quenches what we've been trying to quench with all kinds of other things. God, breathe a bread of life that, that, that sustains us in the middle of our wilderness. God, be the breath that breathes on this situation and brings goodness and peace and joy as we take you in. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody everywhere said, amen, amen. Well, listen, before you go, we wanna take two minutes and let you know stuff for your kids, stuff that's going on uh, throughout the week, and then give you an opportunity to engage with us in different ways. So right now, I'm gonna send it off to our church online host. Take it away, guys.